teens are experiencing more right. stress than they've had in a long time, even though we're safer than we've ever been. Oh. And so, so they are, they have a better situation, but they don't think that they do. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Parenting on Purpose. We have such an amazing guest with us today. I'm so excited to share her with you. We have Miss Jody Amen. She's a best-selling author specializing in kids' stress and stress management, and she comes to us with 20 years of practice in the family health and therapy space. So, yes, thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, I, you know, I specialize in teen mental health, and so I have a book out, Anxiety, I'm So Done With You. It's a teen's guide to ditching toxic stress and hardwiring your brain for happiness. And, you know, I wrote the book for teens, but parents and educators and even therapists are reading it as well because we're all grappling with, oh, my gosh, these kids are suffering so bad. Yeah. We feel helpless to help them, powerless. That makes us anxious. And, uh, and I really want to give people tools, but first of all, I want to give them hope that, that we don't have to stay like this, even though it seems like it's getting worse and worse and worse, there is a way to reverse it. And go that's amazing. I love that. That's incredible. Um, so I, I want to get into your book. I think that's a, I think that's a fantastic structure for this conversation. Um, if you maybe want to give a little bit about you and why you decided to take on this, this task, and then please walk us through some of the tools in your book that we can use, um, with our kids to help and probably help us as well. Yeah, that, that is true. That is true. Cause we are, we are anxious as well. Uh, well the book, the book's different than other people who teach on anxiety. Cause a lot of people who teach on anxiety are teaching coping skills to calm down once you have it. That is really the method. Uh, but what I do is I, I take down the power of anxiety. So we deconstruct anxiety as a problem. And then when I say anxiety, I'm really lumping in depression, anxiety, negative thinking, uh, overwhelm, stress, all of that thing, all of that actually wow. is the same hormone. It's all adrenaline. And so we think about these things as all different self-doubt and, you know, we think about resistance and we think about them as all different things, but wow. actually it's the same mechanism. It's upsetness. If you think about it as upsetness, but you can't put that in the title of a book. People don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but anxiety, yeah, wow. it's all adrenaline, all of it. And so anytime you're upset at all, uh, frustrated, angry, uh, worried, confused, all the same hormone. And so we have to address that. Now, obviously we have different levels of it in our blood, which is going to affect us different ways. And that gives us the symptoms of anxiety. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's really intense and sometimes it's not very intense. And we call those things different names as well. You know, we'd say I'm worried or nervous or apprehensive or something like that, but this is all the same hormone, right. just different. That's incredible. I didn't realize that. What makes it, um, what makes it show up differently? Right? Like, is there different levels of like your being upset or does it kind of different for different people or how does, how does that work? Exactly. So there's different levels in your blood. So that would change how it's felt. And also we make meaning around our feelings and that really wow. changes how it feels. So how we think about it. So if we feel the adrenaline going off and we think about it as like, oh my gosh, I'm out of control. Oh my gosh, I'm at a problem. I'm different. Something's wrong with me. Of course, we're going to experience that totally different than if we feel the adrenaline going off and be like, oh, that's adrenaline. That's because this just happened. I, you know, I almost got, you know, I, I, I stopped fast and I, 
of course I have adrenaline from stopping fast. Like we understand it and know about it and we're not afraid of it. Right. It goes away really quickly. If we are like, what is this? What is this? Then our brain is like, we're in danger because we can't figure this out and it's going to keep pumping the hormones out. So when we do that psychoeducation and we teach people about what, what is going on in the brain, it really helps them know what to do because we are so want to know why. And if we don't know why we feel helpful. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that, so I'm assuming some of your tools are a self-recognition of that in, in teens, right? Cause it's probably a newer world to them. And especially I remember being a teen, there are so many emotions, so many things can set you off. Your are like your body's changing your insides, everything. So that's awesome. I love it. Tell us, tell us more. Yeah. I mean, I think teens right. think they have a problem. You know, when they experience anxiety or depression, they right. think they have a problem and they're not real. They're not realizing that they're having a regular human reaction yeah. to this modern world. And when I say that, I mean like our, you know, our modern conveniences make us do less tasks. And so we're less connected with our own agency. We're less connected with our, our knowledge of ourself being able to do stuff, our knowledge of ourself as being adaptable. So when you know, and also, so two things. So one is we have less tasks to do to survive. And so we are not connected with seeing ourselves as adaptable and um, able. And the second thing is we have a lot of space. You know, our brain developed for millions of years to solve problems. We don't have as many problems. And so it has to kind of make up some, or it does something because it feels like it's keeping you safe. If it doesn't have it's so funny you said that. Like, I literally was in the shower last night and I thought to myself, like, like by and large, I mean, we have incredible lives. Like, if you look at the spectrum of human, like, existence, no bubonic plague, no saber-toothed tigers, no, like, you know, ice age. Like, we're pretty insulated from, you know, f- flight or flight. Now we experience it more like, you know, someone says something cross to us. We read a Facebook post that makes us feel a certain way. And it almost made me, like, question the human condition of, like, are we not meant like there's a homeostasis, but are we just not designed to stay there? Like we're almost designed to be uncomfortable. So, and I think that has been self-serving in our existence because it pushes us forward into ingenuity and invention and, you know, progress and different things. But at the same time, it's like, it kind of causes a mental health dilemma because we're never like know how to be at peace all the time. Maybe it's just me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think it's like, I mean, I don't think that we're designed to be uncomfortable because we could use that. I think that we have that capacity because right. the world was uncomfortable right. for millions of years. And so we needed that to survive that. And now uh, we are a little bit more comfortable, but we can't stand being uncomfortable because because our brain is reading it like the discomfort in the past, which yes. was really actually dangerous. Our discomfort now is not as dangerous. I mean, depends. Of course, there's a lot yes. of people in, in dangerous situations right now. But uh, in, you know, it's all relative, of course, but, you know, when we are safe and feel uncomfortable, our brain is experiencing, our reptilian brain is experiencing that as it is, as if it's a dangerous situation. And we have a mammalian brain that we could override it. Most people don't know that they can do that. If you don't know that you can do that, you just think, oh my gosh, I feel terrible. I'm out of control and this is awful. And what do I do about it? But you don't realize like we can override it's that. your That's older your brain. Brazilian brain. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to protect you. And, and, um, and we could say, okay, I don't need it right now. You know, I give people a script. It's like, thanks amygdala. 
that's the part of your brain that releases the adrenaline. Thanks, amygdala. If I needed you, this would be great because it is yeah. great. I mean, our friends, if we were actually in danger, it's kind of superhuman yeah. stuff. It's kind of cool. Um, so I flipped the script instead of being afraid of it. It's like have gratitude. It's like, thanks, amygdala. If I needed you, it'd be really great, but I don't need you right now. And repeating that over and over, you actually could untrigger the amygdala with stuff that it's been triggered for in your life or like. That seems like it releases a lot of like uh, pent up energies or traumas or, you know, things, right? Like I have a three-year-old, so I go straight into toddler mode when I think about that because your mammalian brain doesn't necessarily develop till you're a little older um, fully. So that's amazing. So by overriding it, if I'm understanding correctly, it means first recognizing that you're being triggered, your reptilian brain. Um, and then I love your approach of showing gratitude for it because it has kept us safe and it still serves a purpose. And then now your emotions are more of like a place of equanimity where you can decide from a, a better state of consciousness. I don't need to choose to react to this. I can just move on. Right. You're, you're in a witnessing state instead of like the feeling state. And so right away it regulates your nervous system. Uh, and so it regulates your nervous system and then, you know, then you feel better. But like, if you know, you don't feel powerless, right. When you understand these things. So when I teach in the book, I teach people the biology of anxiety so that they could learn all of this and then they know what to do, right. You get, you, you know exactly what to do when you're anxious. So it breaks down the power of anxiety instead of just like deep breathing or distract yourself. Distracting yourself is great. I mean, think about humanity in, in all of our history. Of course, we've used that's like yeah. the best tool that we have. <laughs> that's why there's a whole entertainment yeah. dis- industry and it's been here forever. I'm I'm not knocking um, distraction. Yeah. I, think I, I, I think it's helpful, right? Like there's even times where like, you know, like on my own spiritual, like understanding and path, like I know people go into, um, they watch Netflix or play a video game to get like more into like a normal, like alpha theta kind of brainwave instead of like always reaction, high, high energy. But at the same time, I do think, especially if you're a teenager and everything is new, the distraction can be very great at the moment, but there needs to be a place of like integration and understanding so that you're not just like kind of just bulldozing through life with all these emotions and you've never made sense of it or never had empowerment around it, I think is even more important. Yeah. So I'm giving them the tools to be able to do that. And I think that's, you know, I think that's going to make a huge difference. Also, you know, we, we, kids are so stressed out, right? We have this such toxic stress around and what our response to it is trying to pull back. And this idea or this narrative of like, everyone's so busy, everyone should just like not be as busy. That actually sure. is not good for our brain to not be busy, but we don't want the pressure. It's like, there's this pressure. We're less busy actually, but we have a lot more pressure. We want to get rid of the pressure and actually be more busy, but with invigorating and life-giving and relational uh, community building uh, activities. So when people are stressed, they back off and parents do this. Like when your kids are, you know, having a lot of problems, we try to take stuff off their plates and you could watch my TEDx Wilmington talk. It's uh, about anxious kids. So if you're a parent, like watch that. But if you, if they, you know, we take things off their plate, that's actually not because we're telling them. We're disempowering them. Yeah. And we're, we're, we're validating that they can't. And that's, that's a huge problem because we want them to, and it's not like, 
of course you're going to be compassionate. And yes, there's going to be a little bit of like, I'll help you where, because you want to show them that they're not alone and there's a community around them. There's backup, of course. So there's, it's not like leave them, but but help them figure it out for themselves so that they feel empowered next time. Yeah. Don't take everything off their plate and have them not doing anything. That's not going to be helpful to their mental health at all. They need to be involved in doing stuff and because they, yep. their brain needs something yep. to figure out. And so creativity is the best way to do that. We don't need a problem to solve because creativity actually yep. is yes. problem solving. You have to figure it out. It's like, oh, what, you know, what color should I put on this side and how should I design this? Or, you know, it, you're, 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 you're making decisions and solving problems. So it's the best way to use that yep. energy or having a goal. So if it's a sports goal or something, if you have a goal, then you're working towards that goal. And in that way, you're using that element of your brain. If it's not being used, right. it will look for problems. Yep. That's crazy. That's true. That I, I just had like a huge like mental shift. Yeah. So there's, there's something that happens when you have like young children. And, and I, I have a teenager as well. So I don't think this is unique to young children, but... I will say this is definitely intergenerational. I think we forget what it's like to be a kid. And now we're juxtaposing our recollection of circumstances 20, 30, 10 years ago on our children. So I think it would be really beneficial because of your expertise to give parents a little perspective of the toxicity and the type of stress that kids today are actually encountering, because it probably is a little different than what we encountered and certainly the tools in today's world are much different um, in terms of how to help integrate that. So I'd, I'd love for you to speak on that for a minute, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, let's see. So teens are experiencing more right. stress than they've had in a long time, even though we're safer than we've ever been. Oh. And so, so they are, they have a better situation, but they don't think that they do. And I'm not talking about everyone because because there's a lot of people that are, you know, living in a really bad situation. So I'm not talking about every single person. I'm talking about the majority of people. And so they they are highly adaptable. They're highly able, but they don't see that they are because they're not having those experiences where they're constantly being shown that they have skills and abilities. So they're disconnected with their agency. They're disconnected with, and, and so in the pandemic, of course, affected them so much in terms of uh, disrupting their relationships, their connectedness, their mattering, their routines, uh, their activity level. And so their mind started to try to fill in that space by looking for a lot of problems. And then they saw themselves as different. They didn't see themselves as having a reaction to the pandemic. Some of them did in ways, but then they still talk themselves out of it, right? And think that I'm different. This is how I am now, right? I have anxiety. Then they have all of their other friends struggling yep. just as bad as they are. And so they're and so they're yeah. empathic as well. And so they're feeling all that. Wow. They're worried about their friends. And it's validating that this world is sucky and crazy. And, um, and so they're feeling so depressed and anxious. And they, they feel like something's really wrong with them. So, um, so that's what they're facing right now. And parents are like, right. oh, it's fine. Right. What are you talking about? You know, you have everything. Um, and they're, 
it's it's not that's not what's wrong is that they don't have everything they want. Of course, actually, sometimes in some exactly. ways they have too much that they want, but but they uh, so it's it's like what right. they need right now is a mirror of their abilities, their adaptability, their skills. Uh, so they need modeling in that, and then they need to be shown that they have it. So we need to constantly be like, oh, that's a good idea. Oh, you have good ideas. You exactly. know, reflecting back to them their skills and abilities. Oh, I, wow, I, I, that's so cool that you did that so perfectly, you know, or not perfect. I don't like the word perfect. I don't mean it like that. But, you know, say they're doing an art project or something and they got the line straight. I don't know. I'm trying to give an example. Particularly, I, I write a, a whole... Um, appendix to to parents in the book and an outline four things that parents need that kids need right now and one of them is just being able to notice their uniqueness awesome. their unique skills yeah very important especially at, at this age like even from like you know up until they leave, leave the house i think kids are deciding whether they want to hedge themselves into this box of how everybody is or if they're going to be okay with being different like I remember going through that and I've seen it in nieces and nephews and you know neighbors and siblings and cousins where there's a period of time where you're either like recognizing that you're different and you're okay with it and you embrace it and you allow it to breathe and grow or you trump it you you try and like squander it because you fear that it's something that makes you unsafe and I think as a parent one being aware that that's happening um, you have to give them the tools to decide for themselves. I'm not telling, you know, not necessarily tell them which way to go with it. Although I have, I have my own feelings, but like, let them decide what, what's best for them. That's awesome. So when I was like a kid, I remember my parents would, and I had, am I have amazing parents. They're incredible. They are like the best, but it was always like, go outside, you know, um, go out, go get outside. If I ever got like heady or if I was getting a little anxious, it was more about like movement, like go move the energy, go get your energy out. So they didn't have the sophisticated like tool set that I think, you know, you've developed and that we have today, but in maybe intrinsically, or maybe, I don't know, just understanding they knew go move the energy, you'll feel better. And even to this day, I'm in my thirties. Like if I get a little antsy, my husband and I, we have like an understanding like gym, I need to go to the gym. I need to go move. <laughs> I need to go work out. Um, so I'm wondering if that's similar for kids today. And then obviously there's a lot more technology and things that keep kids in the house. And so I, I want to understand the, the root of some of this stress and anxiety. And then what are some ways as parents we can help them like activities or times with friends or things that will maybe distract them to your point earlier so they can feel other emotions that they can latch onto versus feeling the anxiety and then staying stuck in it. Don't stay still. Worst thing you could do, just stay still. Yeah, kids who are, you know, they have a sports season and they have no anxiety, and after the sports season, they have anxiety, right? Movement, first of all, it, it balances, you know, all of the hormones in our body in a way that, you know, makes us, it builds the endorphins up, and so it makes us feel better. You know, they've done a lot of studies about comparing antidepressives oh. to exercise, and exercise yeah. outbeats it every time, sus sustainably. Uh, but yeah, so some kids are good at that and some kids aren't, but yeah, it's the same thing. Get outside, get moving. You know, when people, when your kid's anxious, be like, let's go on a walk. Yep. They're not going to want to, they want to sit in a chair, rocking chair and rock. Worst thing for them. You need, or be in bed. They need to get out of their room and get out and talk and be moving. So go run an errand, do 
whatever you could do to stimulate something mind with some other thing yeah. than the anxiety thoughts. So looking around a store, you don't have to buy anything, but like looking around, walking, hiking. So you're looking yeah. around outside, <clears throat> having conversations about something, all those things. So getting them involved in extracurricular activities is really important because then they have a goal. They have something, they have a community. They, you know, they have something to think about and plan. If they had some, you know, we do stuff like say we were going to make a project. This is just an easy example, but say we were going to make like a wooden box for somebody and we, we would, sometimes we'd be sourcing the material for it. Sometimes we'd be imagining and designing what it would look like. Sometimes we have to look up how to do different things. Like there's multiple sure. levels to that project, but also like in the morning when we're in the shower or when we're walking or different things, we could right. be using our brain right. space to think about ahead yeah. what that design's going to be. We all need those kind of projects because those downtimes are times when anxiety nice. But if we were imagining this yeah. uh, this project we're doing and, and how yeah. we could create it, we're invigorated. We feel charged up. We feel purposeful. We're excited about something. Um, exactly. Challenged in a way. And that is what we need. You know, anxiety is trying to right. serve that purpose, but it's suffering. You know, it's like the misplaced, it's the misplaced energy that could be used for creativity. We have so much, our brain has right. so much capacity, yeah. so much capacity. So we need to use it for good stuff. And that doesn't mean we're busy. We have yep. to be busy all the time. It does not mean that at all because you don't have to be busy all the time. Some people to try to avoid anxiety are like workaholics and they work all the time and fill everything up. Right. I'm not talking about doing that. I'm talking about having interests. That lights us up. You could relax with your interests. You could have a lot of downtime. You could exactly. read fiction books. And there's, you don't have to be busy and productive. You have to be stimulated. And then if you're stimulated enough, you can have downtime where, you know, cause you don't, when you have a lot, a lot of anxiety, that's not when you just like, you know, meditate right. blankly too much. You need to have a bridge. You need to have something interesting and break the habit of anxiety constantly coming when your brain is quiet. And once you have, once you are, to not anxious anymore, then you could do more downtime stuff with just that's cool. So I, I, I understand you can do things at the same time. If you're, if you're anxious, you need, okay. Yeah. Words. You need something to help you, to help you, like you said, distract yourself or just cling on to another emotion because you're not the anxiety. You're having um, an experience of anxiety for a moment and then you can choose which part of your brain you're going to fuel. So it's, yeah, that's, that's smart. So it's understanding if you're going through that, find something that brings you joy or creation or movement or something to focus you. And then if you want reflection time after that, once you're out of the emotion that you were sweeping through you, you can do that. So that brings me to a question as a parent, because I've learned a lot or I've like, you know, I understand that you don't want to overstimulate your children. You don't want, you want to give them the space to learn. So it like, I think when you have a like a child, like a toddler or like a school age youngster, it's easy to like lay things out. You can put out a few different toys um, and then at their leisure, they can kind of go, you know, weave into out of what they're interested in. They can combine them. They can go pull something else out. Like they know where the things are. I like, I'll be honest, like with my teenager, she's much more self starting. So I know, and she's so regimented. I know if she wants to do something, she can go do it, but I don't, I would be lying if I said, 
in that way, I try and, you know, lay things around the house or, or integrate things for her to just play. Um, it's kind of done differently. It's like, Hey, do you want to go on a walk or do you want to go to the park or let's go, let's go pepper with the volleyball. So I think, you know, age appropriately, maybe they're the same thing, but I guess my underlying question is, as a parent, it's easy to do it when they're young, but when they're teenagers, how do you make sure you're giving them something so that they can still explore and, and learn other things they might want to use as, um, like avenues, um, versus like, you know, kind of overdoing it, if that makes sense. Well, I guess you could always have, you know, we have a art supply cabinet, just leftover art supplies yep. from when they were younger. And, you know, often we go in there if you need something or, you know, there's, there's a space dedicated yep. to art supplies. So that, that helps. And that might stimulate a different kind of project or something like that. But that valuing, you know, there's a lot of modeling. We're always doing some kind of project, either on the house or making a gift for somebody. Or So there's that modeling that this is a family that we create stuff and we learn new stuff. So there has to be modeling. Kids who are not involved in extracurricular activities often yeah. have parents who are not involved in a lot of extracurricular or, you know, that's just not the culture of the family to do things. And then kids who do a lot of stuff, their parents actually do a lot of stuff. Like it, yeah. it is like a culture that cool. you're, you're in. So if you're, yeah. So if you're, you're a family that does a lot of art projects and I don't mean art projects, but you know, bake or, you know, make a cake special for somebody's birthday, you know, that kind of, or design a, if you had a party, you have a little bit of a theme, like you, yeah. you're just a creative person and you don't have to be really creative. It could be something else that you do, that you're organizing, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. You help somebody. You're the, you know, that's a culture in your family. You help other people. Uh, that kind of thing would, would create those spaces. That's awesome. Come in and out of. They may get involved in a volunteer, volunteering for something or, you know, there, there's so many. That really? It's true. Things. And I think sometimes it's easy to overthink this because we just are like humans, kids, teenagers, like we're very good at like filling the space, but if you notice that your teen is struggling with anxiety, I feel like maybe they do need a little help filling the space. Um, so that's cool. I, I appreciate that mirror as like, what are you doing? Um, and it's funny as you said that I found a little relief because I'm like, I'm always up and moving. So I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but at least my kids know to like get up and do something. Um, but it's cool, right? Because then they'll feel like they can, they can get involved, which I really love. It's awesome. Yeah. And then they know how have to learn how to rest. They have to learn how to yeah. ask for help. You know, so they want to be, you want to be modeling all the stuff, but you know, you, you want to model like how to have fun. So yeah, you're up and moving, but are you yeah, having fun? Are you always feeling like you have to work? Does yeah. everything have to be perfect? You know, those things affect them too. If you're, if you're moving because you enjoy it and they yeah. see laughing and having fun and being with people and making people feel happy around you, like that would, that's amazing. I mean, you don't, you know, the, I'm not trying to raise the standards of parenting, but think about trying to fit some of that stuff in your oh, day. Exactly. That's kind of how this whole thing came to be is like, I think we realize like we've all felt a little bit of disconnection or something that made us think this wasn't always this way, or I want to, I want to do better, or wouldn't it be cool if, you know, even if it's just playful, it's not self-deprative. It's just, I think we can make this better or it's not even something we experience, but we see it in our kids and we realize it's a result 
of an environment that we've created. So, I mean, there's zero, there's nothing wrong. It's just a tool to try to play with, to have fun. And like you said, it'll bring you so much more enjoyment and fulfillment. And I think that's what we all really want out of our, our lives, right? It's just to enjoy the moment with who we're with, um, you know, pre present peace in the present moment. I think parents put a lot of pressure on themselves too. So I just want to put that caveat in here. Like you are doing so much better than you think you're doing and stop judging yourself. Yep. You're doing awesome. And I, I think that's a message that we really have to tell parents over and over because they are beating themselves up for every it's true. thing. You know, the, the kids, you know, your kids are struggling because this modern world's a little bit, you know, causing it. It's not, all bad. I don't want to make you afraid that, oh my gosh, yeah. what did I bring kids into? Yeah. We all think yeah. about that sometimes, but, um, but, but not blame yourselves for anything, everything. And then not question. Sometimes we do a parenting intervention. You know, we, we say something or do some kind of discipline and the kid does the same thing again. And we have to do it again and do it again. And we're like, I don't know what to do to make, you can, you can't do anything to make it right. It has to be repeated right. over and over again. Right. That's not a judgment that what you did yeah. is the wrong thing. <laughs> it's, it's a, that's what kids are. Like you have to just repeat it over and over and over again and they might get it 10 years later, but uh, that doesn't mean it's wrong because it didn't like it's true. It immediately. So it's really I think hard kids are very um, versatile and like, uh, you know, they get over things quickly. We are the ones who kind of hold it a little bit longer. So you know, as long as you model or you chain, you model the behavior, you have positive interactions that they'll remember that. And especially like if just saying sorry, you know, like this morning I um, tossed one of my son's books on the bed because I thought we were done with it and it upset him. So I was like, oh, I'm sorry, honey. I wasn't doing that to upset you. I thought we were done and I was putting on the bed. Um, so they might misconstrue what you're even doing at a younger age and it's just recognizing it. And then he was totally fine. Like, but he took my emotion or what he perceived was an upset emotion for me. And he got like instantly upset. So that instant mirror or model. And then when I explained to him that it was not out of a place of upset, I was just moving it. Um, he was happy. And I said, sorry. And he was, it's just cute to see how like quick they're on to the next thing. I think we could learn. <laughs> we could learn something from that. <laughs> uh, for sure. It's awesome. Sure. Well, this has been amazing. Um, I, I would love if you could tell us a little bit about where people can find you, what you're working on now. I know, I know you have a podcast and you have a lot going on. You have a dissertation. So how do they get involved in your world? <laughs> yeah. Uh, my website's jodyamon.com, J-O-D-I-A-M-A-N.com. So you can find everything there. And in the top corner is a link to my podcast. So it's a awesome. podcast for teens, but of course, again, counselors, educators, and parents are reading it or listening to it too. It goes along with each section of the book. So you read a section of the book and then you listen to the podcast cool. and it kind of goes a little bit deeper and it tells more stories, that kind of stuff. So that is a great resource out there because I, I think a lot of teenagers don't read. So I really wanted to bring it in other places. Um, I have a YouTube channel, lots of stuff coming out. So you can find me at Jody Amen on my YouTube channel as well. And, um, you know, for parents, you know, be encouraged that I'm trying to partner with schools to bring a mental health curriculum into health classes mm -hmm. that is actually an intervention that actually helps kids. It's a psychoeducational intervention that helps kids feel better. And it'll be for all kids. So it's not like so we have to 
identify who's having problems. Like yeah. all mm -hmm. kids are having problems. They might call it different things and they might see it different ways and make different meaning, but we could help everybody have a more robust emotional wellness and let's do that. And I think even the teachers are struggling too. Like they see the kids hurting and they're not sure what to do and they're really overwhelmed. And so that's amazing. I love that. You started with something and it might've been right before we recorded where kids think that they're, 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 they label themselves as having a problem and they're really just having a human experience. And your mission, which I think is a brilliant, is to just help them integrate and, you know, integrate and make sense of those emotions so that they can choose better ones. Uh, and I, I love that. I think what you're doing is phenomenal. So I know my 15 year old is interested. I'll, I'm definitely going to post her to the podcast so she can, uh, so she can check it out. Um, and then I'll put a link below. Good. Good. You have to share with all our friends. I, I tell my clients, I'm like, they're so worried about their friends. Oh, like, that's amazing. That's awesome. I think there's something to be said too about kids in groups. Like my daughter has a girlfriend. They sometimes go to like a Barnes and Noble and they'll sit and read like their respected books. But you know, it's the community that doesn't change just because they're teenagers. I mean, it's probably even more imperative because they're teenagers and having healthy communities. So if it's a group of people and they're talking about it, then it's socially acceptable. Everyone deals with it anyway, right? It's not something to be ashamed of. It's just good for you for, you know, taking the right steps to understand it. So it's not debilitating you your whole life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We need community. It's awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time today and um, best of luck with your next endeavors. Um, everyone, if you made it this far, thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, we can't wait to see you guys on the next episode. And until next time, stay beautiful, stay inspired. <laughs>